Let's pray. Father, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There is no God but you. There is no God before you, beside you, or after you. You alone are God. And we acknowledge that you gave your son, Jesus Christ, who is God become a man. The creator of the universe became one of us and died on the cross and was buried and rose from the dead on the third day. And Lord, we believe. We put our faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Lord, you said, whoever hears my words and believes in the one who sent me uh, will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. He has eternal life. And Father, we believe. We believe your word. By grace have we been saved through faith. And this not of ourselves, it's not by works. And so we thank you for the free gift of eternal life to everyone who believes. Now, Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you open hearts this morning? And would you make us good students of the word? That we would honor your word in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel covers a significant period in the history of Israel. It's about 1100 um, B.C. as we get into this book. Now, where have we been? We've been, God chose a man named Abraham. Okay? He chose a man named Abraham. From this man, he said that he would bless all the nations of the earth. His plan was to reveal himself. The Bible is a book of God revealing himself. Someone has said it's as if God were behind a curtain on a stage, and, and first you see his arm, and then you see his shoulder. and you know, it's, That's almost like what the Bible is, because it's a, it's a progressive revelation of God revealing himself to us, and it's not complete until Jesus comes. Only in Jesus is, do we see the, the, the oh, I get it, I, I, we see the face of God. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. <clears throat> but the story of the Bible starts with Adam and Eve sinning, the flood of Noah, and then Abraham. And Abraham uh, is given a son at age 100 named Isaac. And Isaac uh, has a son named Jacob. And Jacob becomes the father of 12 sons. And Jacob gets the new name Israel. And so the 12 tribes of Israel become the seed of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, from which God will reveal himself. And then, as they become a nation of three million and are in slavery in Egypt, God sends Moses to rescue them, and he brings them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. He makes them into his own people. He gives them the Ten Commandments, all the laws, 600 different laws, revealing that he is a holy God, revealing that he was a just God, revealing that he is a God uh, of love, but a God of justice. And as that revelation occurs, they have the law, the covenant, the priesthood. It all is a shadow of the fact that in Christ, the law will be satisfied. In Christ, we will have the perfect priest. In Christ, it's complete. It all points to Christ, and that's what you've got to see. So after they go into with Moses, then Joshua takes them into the promised land, defeating the Canaanites, eating milk and honey and fruit, <laughs> and no longer babies eating manna. But in Judges, they begin to backslide. They begin to go back to sin. They let the, the nations around them influence them, and pretty soon they're dominated. 
And it's what a little bit of sin can do if you let it begin to dominate your life. If you begin to compromise. And then we saw the beautiful book of Ruth last week. Oh, what a story. Boaz and Ruth, what a romance. What a story and a picture of redemption for the Gentiles that Ruth comes to, to Boaz. It's, it's, and I hope you didn't, if you didn't hear that, I hope you'll hear the tape. I hope you've studied it or you will study it on your own. That's all the background of where we are. Now, as we come to Samuel, we're going to see in this one book, we go from Samuel, who is also a judge. He's the 13th judge, if you will. He's one of the final, he and Eli are the last of, of the judges. But Eli, Eli is the 12th, and I think Samuel is the 13th judge, I believe. And, but Samuel is much more than a judge. Samuel is a prophet to the nation. And he's a bridge between the period of the, the judges to the period of the kings. Because the people will ask for a king. We want to be like other nations, you know. So God will give them a king. And we will see the first king is Saul. And the second king is the greatest of all the kings, except for Jesus. And that's David. And there is more written about King David than any other man or woman in the Bible, except for Jesus himself. More than about Paul, we know about David. We have his life recorded repeatedly in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, uh, then again in Chronicles, in great detail, in great detail. And the reason we know so much about him is all the Psalms are his heart to God, his relationship with God. And so David is a, a key figure. And Jesus is called the son of David. They used to, when they referred to his humanity, Jesus would walk along and they would say, you know, Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because they knew that the Messiah would be the son of David. Because David was given a promise that one day someone would sit on the throne of David forever. And that was not Solomon. That was Jesus. And so Abraham is told, through your seed, your offspring, all nations of the world will be blessed. And Isaac, and then Jacob, and then now uh, Jacob goes all the way down to Samuel. And we're still following the bloodline of Christ. Chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and an Ephraimite. Now, Ephraim would be in the north, one of the northern tribes in the area known as Joseph, or Ephraim, where the tribe settled in the north. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Now, this is not Jerusalem yet. It's Shiloh. That's where they had the tabernacle, Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. And whenever the, the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year, and 
whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once then, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor shall ever be used on his head like the Nazarite vow. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her, her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. May the Lord of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. And early the next morning they arose, worshipped before the Lord, then went on their way home to Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, because this is because saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Samuel means heard of God. You heard me, God. <laughs> Samuel. I, I really love this story. I could do just a whole Bible study on this. And if, if the Spirit leads me to stay in 1 Samuel for a few weeks, so be it. It doesn't matter. We'll follow the Holy Spirit. But Hannah wants to have a child. In Israel, for a woman not to have a child was a very sad thing. Remember when Elizabeth and Zechariah wanted a child and she became pregnant? She said, oh, the Lord has taken away my disgrace. Not that it would be a sin. It was just a sad thing because childbearing was so important to them and having a son, if possible, was important to them. Uh, and, and a woman wanted to be pregnant. It's a different era. They, they wanted a child. And she couldn't conceive. And, but God did the miracle that he would do. And here's Hannah. She's praying. And he, you know, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying. And Eli says, go in peace. God's going to take care of it. And she goes home and she conceives that night. And she made this important vow that if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. You see, this is what God wanted to hear. God needed a man who would be fully raised, fully given over to him. Samuel. I was once pastoring in Washington State in my first pastorship. Someone came in and asked me about, you know, they said they couldn't conceive, they wanted to adopt, and they were seeking counsel. And I was just led to go ahead and pray that they could conceive. And after they left, I thought, what? what did I do? Did I raise false hopes? You know? They came back a year later and they said, this is our son, Samuel. And they named him Samuel. That's a true story. And, I, you know, I, my daughter here in Chico is an example of God taking a, bar, a barren womb and, and opening it. He can do anything. His, he gives life to the womb. So Samuel is now raised, and the, the story goes on. I'm going to start paraphrasing now rather than reading so we can cover the text. But when he's old enough to be weaned, and they would nurse sometimes till age three, three and a half. 
So he could have been three, almost four. And the, the weaned, when he's done, and now he's completely on solid food. Then she takes him to Shiloh. And she gives him over to Eli uh, uh, and says, um, I'm dedicating him to you. I'm, I'm dedicating him to the Lord. He, he takes him to the, the, the priest. And um, Eli says, okay. And Eli begins to mentor him. And so once a year, she'll bring him clothes and things like that. But now she's actually putting her son in the charge of the, of the priest, of the high priest. And he's being trained at the tabernacle there in Shiloh. And then in chapter 2, you have the prayer of Hannah, of her rejoicing that she gave birth to a child. It's comparable to Mary's prayer. Mary's prayer after she became, became pregnant with Jesus uh, is the Magnificat. You know, my soul rejoices greatly in the Lord. You, you should read Hannah's prayer. It's a similar thing where she honors God and praises God that she became pregnant. And it's, it's beautiful to read. Um, and just how God is mindful of the humble and so forth. Well, so what happens is Eli, this, this high priest, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And you see this in chapter 2. They are wicked guys. They are wicked guys. People will bring an offering you know, an animal, a piece of meat to be sacrificed, a bull or something, and they will reach in while it's still essentially raw. Well, you know, just eat it, not even fully cooked. They had gluttony. His sons had the sin of gluttony. Also, it says in chapter uh, 3 that they, um, or chapter 2, my pages are blowing in the wind here, that they slept with the women that served in the temple. They were fornicators. They were sleeping, and that says in verse 22, you see that? They slept with the women who served at the tent of meeting. Verse 22. So his sons were evil, and, and God was not pleased with Eli because Eli had not corrected his sons. If you do not correct your sons, God will not be pleased with you. Our job as parents is to train up our children, and that, that includes the love and the discipline that they need. And so... The boy Samuel, verse 26, continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. And then there's a prophecy in chapter 2 against Eli, where it says that his house will be cut off. You see that in verse uh, 33. Everyone that, that I don't know will be cut off. And actually, by the way, this is a detail you probably won't be able to lay hold of, but I'll give it to you anyway. The Bible predicted that there would be a change in the priesthood, and the descendant of Eli actually lost the priesthood. Write down first, if you want to put it in your margins, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 26, where the descendants of Eli were cut off in a new priesthood. Abiathar was replaced with a priest named Zadok. And so there was a change in the lineage of the high priest, and it was predicted here. I love how God's word predicts it, and then in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 26, it's fulfilled. So that's the amazing part of the Bible to me. Here's a prediction over here, and it happens over here. I, that's the word of God. The internal consistency of this book, I marvel at it. It builds my faith up. So in chapter 3, Samuel was like sleeping, hanging out in the tabernacle. And he would, um, it says in chapter 3, verse 1, In those days the word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. This is a period of time when there wasn't, nobody's getting a prophecy. The Spirit of God wasn't working very much. The word of the Lord is rare. That's not a good thing. I hunger for the word of the Lord. 
in my life and go, Lord, I need to hear from you. I long to hear from God. I, there's nothing sweeter to me than God impressing himself upon my heart. And we're not playing at religion here. We're talking about a relationship with a God who wants to speak to us. I go to prayer meetings with pastors on Thursday, another group on Tuesday, and I'm not looking for signs and touchy-feely things, but I want prophecy. The Bible says despise not prophesying. Try all things. Even they're gifts of the Spirit. But the word was rare, and nobody's even teaching, you know? And so Samuel lies down, and and he hears a a voice calling, Samuel, Samuel. So he runs into Eli, and he, he says, what's up? He says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So then he hears him again. Samuel, Samuel, he runs to Eli. What did you call? And Eli goes, that's not me. That's God calling you. The next time God calls you, say hello. <laughs> Tell him, speak, your servant, listen. So Samuel says in verse 10, speak, for your servant is listening. And God reveals a message to Samuel, which is a rebuke against And again, this is an overview, folks. I'm going to have you do your own homework, but it rebukes Eli. And so he tells Eli this thing. He has to have the courage of a young boy. And notice he's now beginning to reveal himself to Samuel. God is speaking to Samuel. If you would be used by God, you must hear from God. And please don't miss this now. Don't miss this. Look at the last verse of the chapter. Um, uh, verse 19, uh, verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Read the next verse. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Oh, don't miss that. I sit in the morning with the Bible open and God reveals himself to me through the word. And then if I'm going to be used by God and have something worthwhile to say to you, it's because I've been God spoken to me. Paul wrote in the New Testament, he said, what I have received from the Lord, I pass on to you. So guys, all of us as a church need to be in the word. Read the word. God reveals himself to you through the word. Have a bookmark in your Old Testament. Have a bookmark in your New Testament. Read the word. It's not, it's not a way of earning salvation. It's a discipline that reveals, blesses your life. Read the Bible each morning, starting with your morning devotions. Cup of coffee in the Bible, cup of tea in the Bible. You say, Pastor, i got to go to work early. Well, set the alarm, get up a half hour earlier. God wants to speak to you. And when you pray with your Bible open, say, Lord, would you speak to me through the Holy Spirit, please? Help me understand this. I, do, I keep a notebook handy. What if he gives you something to write down? He gives you an idea while you're praying. I think God speaks that way a lot. Like, you know, go take a vacation. Yay. <laughs> or go see this sick person. God will put things on your heart. It's good to have a notebook sitting there with the Bible. That's your interactive time with God. You're praying. You're reading. Well, Samuel heard the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel went to all Israel because he was a vessel through which God would work. Now, chapter 4 tells a story, and I'm just going to summarize it, okay? Israel goes into a fight with the Philistines. You know, the old, the old Philistines, their enemies, right? And they, they're losing. 
4,000 Israelites get killed and they go, oh no, what do we do? I know what it is. We need to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle. So they go back and they get the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. It's a symbol. You know, it's that, that, that thing with the long poles on it and the presence of God is there. You've studied this already. I'm not going to cover it again. And they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. They go, yeah, we're going to be all right. Yay, we got the Ark with us. And there's a big shout. And the Philistines hear this. And they go, uh-oh, we better really fight for our lives. And so the Philistines fight back. And no one kill 4,000. They kill 30,000. And they go and they capture the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy Ark of the Covenant goes into a pagan group, the Philistines. You see, there's a whole Bible study there. If you start trusting the symbols of religion rather than a personal relationship, you're messed up. If you think that because you have a cross in your house and you look at that cross three times a day, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be okay. That's not how it works. Or if you think it's because you do some religious thing, that's not how it works. We know God by faith. And the problem is the Israelites didn't obey they just thought, oh, the ark will take care of it. They didn't repent and cry out to God in prayer, oh, Lord, forgive us, help us. We, we need you, we can't do it. If they had done that, God would say, oh, you're trusting me? Okay, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll do it for you. But if you're trusting the ark, you're not even drawing near to me. You, sometimes rather than obey you, God, that's, I don't want to obey, but, but you, know, would you, you, know, you can't do that. There's, sometimes God is dealing with us that we must obey. We must be specific with him. So, 30,000, and the ark, this is really a great story because the ark is now in Philistine territory. They take this ark and they put it in front of their god, Dagon, right? Have you read this story before? Their god, Dagon, and Dagon was this horrible statue, pagan statues. I mean, I I didn't research this time what it is, but it's kind of like Artemis of the Ephesians, some ugly thing, fertility thing or whatever. And they're in front of Dagon, their, their god. And the next morning, they come into the temple, and they notice that Dagon fell over. Bonk. Hmm. They check it again next time, and it fell over again. This time, the head broke off, and the hands broke off. Dagon. I was, uh, my first job, I wasn't saved. I was a speech teacher in Fallbrook, California. And we finally won our trophy. We won a tournament. Fallbrook High School, we won a tournament. And I, went, I couldn't wait to show the, the principal and everything. And I was so proud of this trophy. And I went, oh, man, we're driving. I had to, in those days, you had to drive the kids around. I'm driving the kids home and stuff. And, and I went, yeah, I can't wait to show that trophy. And all of a sudden, I had to stop, hit the brake, and the trophy went, whoop, boom. And I broke the head of the trophy off. So, oh, man, my trophy. So then I glued, I put some glue on the trophy. I put some glue, super glue or something. This will do it. So I took it back in, set it, set it right there in the teacher's lounge, the trophy, the speech team. So one of the guys comes in, one of the jolly old teachers comes in, and he picks it up, and the head comes right off in his hand. You know, there's nothing wrong with the fact that I want a speech, that we want a speech tournament, but if you trust anything other than the Lord, it's going to break to pieces. Only trusting in the Lord will get you home, guys. Only Jesus. All the other gods are false. And here's the Ark of the Covenant, and the Philistines say, oh, wait, we really beat those Israelites. And God says, yeah, you did, because I was disciplining them. I'm going to deal with you. And Dagon falls over, and all of a sudden, they start getting tumors. They get tumors in every city, three major cities in, in, in the Philistine territory, in Ashdod and Ekrod. 
And these tumors, by the way, could be tumors of the groin. I remember being in a, Seattle, a study in Seattle, Wayne Taylor. For some reason, you talk about holy laughter. We were laughing because this can be translated hemorrhoids. I mean, I don't know if that's what they had, but, and so we were, and I, but seriously, whatever it was, they had tumors. And they went, oh, we don't want this ark. Let's, you put it in your city. So they put it in the other city. And they all got tumors. And we said, we don't want this ark with us anymore. We don't want this ark with us. And so they, they decided, let's send it back to Israel. And they, gave, they hitched up a couple of cows that had just had babies. And they say, if these cows take it back to an Israelite city, then we'll know God uh, toward Beth Shemesh. That's an Israelite city. Then we'll know God did this thing. And sure enough, these two cows, which normally by instinct would stay with their young, these two cows with the cart on the back, take it to Beth Shemesh, right back to Israel. And then we read that the Israelites looked inside of it, and a significant number died. Uh, it, some translations have 50,000, but more likely a, a smaller number of 70. It's one of those thing, discrepant things in number. But the, they were not supposed to look inside there. So you see, God's dealing with the nation. And those are good stories to read, full of good applications. This is why you should love the Old Testament. Because it'll speak to you again and again, just as much as the New Testament will. The Old Testament will show you how to have a better relationship with God. Well, beloved, following this, Samuel faithfully judges. 20 years pass by. And if you look at chapter 7, verse 12. Chapter 7, verse 12. 1 Samuel. Then Samuel took a stone... And he set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. You see, sometimes we need to do that. I've, how long, I don't know, how long have you known Christ? Five years? One year? Five minutes? <laughs> um, Fifty years. I came to Christ in 1977. I was 26. And I've had a lot of battles you, you think Christianity is not a battle? Huh. Especially if you want to be a pastor. Or called to be a pastor, I should say. And I know I, once, you're, once you're called, it doesn't go away. God's calling is without repentance. You can't, you, you can't shed it. And, um, you know, I've had bad, I can tell you a lot of war stories. In the times in the Philippines and some hardships there. And then the times in um, Big Bear when horrible letters were written about me. You know, if you're a pastor, you can't be thin-skinned. You get used to the fact that you're going to be slandered. I don't like it. But you know, you know what makes me sad if I'm slandered? Can I tell you what it is? Not about me, because I know that it goes with the territory. What Satan wants to do is get the leader slandered so that people will listen to the slander. He wants to separate the sheep. God loves his sheep. Folks, let's not be naive. We are in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We wrestle against them. We wrestle against them. I, we, I'm in a battle whether I like it or not. I, mean, I just went to peaceful dinner by the sea, and I loved it. But at the same time, on the road of my walk, I'm crying out, God, deliver me. God, deliver CIF. Have mercy. The battle is real. And I wish I could tell you otherwise. I wish I could tell you that the world is just one happy playground. And there are jo- joyful experiences in this life, but the life, we are in a battlefield until the Lord comes back. And that's just the way it is. But the good news is, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And, he, and we put down this stone. Set it up right there. Ebenezer stone. Ebenezer means stone of help. It actually, Ebenezer means help. God has helped us. In my life, I can put down a stone right now and say, thus far, God has helped me. Because grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Ebenezer stone of God, you are faithful. You have helped me. And doing that is, is reasserts faith. And this morning, we as a church say, Ebenezer, you have helped us, God. You've helped us, and we're going to keep trusting you. So then at that point in chapter 8, the Israelites demand a king. They say, Samuel, you know, and you can read it in chapter 8. I'll read it to you. Chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons didn't walk in his ways. They turned aside to accept dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said, you're old. <laughs> your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And they said, give us a king to lead us. Now he begins to warn them. He goes, look, if you give a king, you're going to get some heavy taxes. Kings aren't as good as you think that's going to be. Kings have, are human beings, and some of them are going to oppress you. You won't like these kings. The people say, I don't care. We want a king. We want a king. Kind of sad. We want to be like the other nations. God's intention for Israel was that they would be ruled by a theocracy. Himself, God, theos, God, one, ruling over the nation. Samuel as a prophet representing him. But the people clamored for a king. This didn't surprise God. Because back in Deuteronomy 17, back in Deuteronomy 17, he said, when the people asked for a king, he foresaw it. He said, make sure that the king that they get writes on a scroll the word of God every day and copies it so he won't think he's better than his brothers. Can you imagine if the president of the United States every day was copying out of the Bible? Now, I don't know where President Trump's faith is. I pray for him a lot. But righteous leadership. And God wanted the kings to be God-fearing. Now, as we know, many of them were not. And so they want a king, so in chapter 9, I'm just going to take this as far as time allows this morning. We'll, we'll keep going next week. In chapter 9, who is their first king? Somebody say it out loud. Saul. Saul. Thank you, Jeff. Good to have a, a group participation. Saul. The thing that we read about Saul, and you kind of read about it in chapters 9 and 10, uh, is that Saul was a head taller, and he's a pretty handsome guy. And it's been said, in a sense, it was a people's choice. Now, God, God let it be, Saul be the guy, but I think he did it to teach a lesson. Because they thought, well, God, if he's tall and he's handsome, we're in business. But as we know, Saul, who started out good, but only for a brief period of time. At first, Saul was brave, he was a good fighter. And they, they get a victory, and he shows some restraint. So you think, okay, Saul's going to be a pretty good king. But the Bible shows us in the book of 1 Samuel that Saul was not a good king. Saul was disobedient to the Lord. And we have that recorded many places about his life. He was ultimately rejected by God. 
On one occasion, uh, Saul was supposed to have waited for the priest to come and do an offering. But he was, he was fearful that his trips, troops would desert him. So he went out and did the offering. Even though only the high priest was supposed to do that, only the priest, he didn't sacrifice the king. And he was rebuked by God for that disobedience. Later, on another occasion, they were fighting the Amalekites. And Saul was told, make sure you wipe them out. God said, Saul, wipe them out. Exterminate them. Don't leave them. Well, he kept the cattle. He kept the sheep. He spared Agag, their leader. He did, he, and he said, you know, I, and Samuel showed up, well, how, come, how come I hear these sheep? And he said, oh, I just saved them to sacrifice. How come these Agag's alive? Well, you know, I, and he said, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You have not obeyed God, Saul. And because you have not obeyed God, the kingdom has been torn away from you. And God will give it to a man after whose own heart. And who's that man after his own heart? Somebody? David, King David, so Saul, the first king. And don't miss the fact, and I'm just storytelling this morning. I hope it's okay that I storytell. Don't miss the fact that Saul had a son who was a righteous son. Somebody tell me his name. Jonathan, good. Jonathan was a, and Jonathan was kind of like David himself. He's a courageous young lad. And there's a great story in this book, in chapter 14, where Jonathan and the, and the armor bearer are there together, and they're surrounded by Philistines. And all of the Israelites are hiding in their caves, and oh no, the Philistines. And Jonathan, he goes out right out to the enemy camp with his armor bearer, his young armor bearer, chapter, chapter 14, verse 6. And Jonathan says to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. And then they just say, well, if they call us up there, we know we got them. So the Philistines go, hey, come on up here, you two. So Jonathan and his armor bearer climb up the hill. They get up to the top, and they start fighting against them. And God sends an earthquake, which causes a panic. And it's a great victory at defeating the Philistines. You know what a meditation that is? That nothing can hinder God by saving, whether by many or by few. God is not limited by the size of the army. You say, Lord, but I'm so weak. He wants to use you. He wants to use you and me. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's not limited by the, by the vessel. So take whatever you have and offer it to God. I love Jonathan's courage. And I love the armor bearer that goes, I'm behind you, man. Whatever you do, let's do it. That's, that's a good wife right there, if you will. Husband, you know, I remember when I was going to go to Manila, God had already spoken to Janice. I'm with you. I'm backing you up. God gave me a wife. He says, wherever you go, I'm going. I'm backing you up. That's what an armor bearer does. I got your back. I'm there with you. Somebody who stands with you in the storms, that's an armor bearer. So they did this courageous thing together. And Jonathan and David became beautiful friends. Beautiful, they had a beautiful friendship. And I'm just going to take it as far as King David, and then we're going to have communion this morning. I'll save the life of David for next week, part two. Because the life of David is worth its own study. But you do know that in chapter 16, let's just get it started, and then we'll, we'll stop it. Chapter 16, Samuel was told by God to go up pick a new king. 
So he goes to the sons of Jesse in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And here comes, he has all the sons come out. And the Holy Spirit shows him, that's not the one. That's not it. That's not it. Hmm. Samuel goes, "Uh, Jesse, do you have any other sons? Uh, There's one youngest one, but he's with the sheep. Go get him. So they come and they get, here's David. And immediately, he said, by the way, in verse 12, he was ruddy and had a fine appearance. So, and handsome features. So God can use a handsome guy. (laughs) So here he is. And and, and, um, Samuel, Samuel is told, rise and anoint. He is the one. In verse 13, he took the horn of oil and he anointed him. Oil is symbolic of the fullness of, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You are the new king. The oil upon his head. And David probably doesn't know what to make of this. He's a 17-year-old watching sheep. And he was good with the sheep, right? What do we know about David? Uh, the next chapter. He goes to take some cheese to his brother's. And some food. They're in a battle with the Philistines. In, and I'm going to end with this story this morning. He's in the Valley of Elah. Janet and I have been to the Valley of Elah twice when you go to visit Israel. And in the Valley of Elah, the Goliath, this big giant of a, you know the story of this. This is a great story. You know, let's bring the kids in here. You know, Goliath is this seven foot, whatever he is, guy gone, you know. Send a man to fight against me. You know, and all of Israel is afraid of Goliath. Huge armor, giant guy. No one's, well, I'm, no, I'm not going out there. You go. No, I'm not going. And he, he, when David shows up to bring the cheese and stuff, he goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should oppose the army of the living God? And his brother's all, you just being prideful? And he, no. He's just like, and so the word gets to Saul and Saul says, you know, here, take my armor. Put this on. So he puts on Saul's armor and his clank, clank, clank. He says, I can't wear these. I'm not used to these. You cannot put on another man's armor. I cannot be Chuck Smith. I cannot be uh, Billy Graham. I cannot be anybody but me. You have to take the armor that God, the way that God says, I can't wear this. And Jake says, I can't wear this. But you know what happens instead. He goes into the battle. He takes five smooth stones. And we have stones at our house that we've brought back each trip. You want to see some stones from the Valley of Elah? I'll show you. We have those somewhere, right, Jan? Stored away. So he takes five stones, and he's good with the slingshot. And he, 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 I love what he says to Saul. He says, look, when I was watching the sheep, a lion came along. And I got that lion. And when I was watching the sheep, a bear came along. And I got that bear. And God will deliver me from this man, just as he did from that bear and the lion. The experiences you go through, I'm I'm saying this as if I was once again 25 years old, young people, but the things you go through now is a progressive training for the next thing. The battle you win today prepares you for the next battle and the next battle. It is a confidence-building thing. It's like, you did it here, I'm going to do it here. You come to that situation again, I know God can do this. I beat the bear, I beat the lion. He wasn't being cocky. He was trusting God. So he goes out with his five smooth stones and his handy little slingshot, and they were good with slingshots in this society of, of the Jews. We read about it several other stories. The guys that could, could do it and not hit it, split hair right across the room, you know. They knew exactly how to hit the spot. 
And he goes out, and the Philistine goes, am I a dog? You know, you sent a boy out against me? And he answers back, and he says, you know, you come to me with the sword and the spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And in his name, I have power to conquer you. I'm going to feed you to the, to the birds. And he goes out, you know the story, sinks the stone right into his forehead. Boom. And he takes his sword off, cuts off his head. Takes the sword into his own tent. Meanwhile, we have read, it's actually back to the chapter before, that David, that Saul was so evil now that God sent a tormenting spirit against him, an evil spirit to torment him. So Saul was, from the demons, God was allowing him to be tormented by the evil spirit. But David, not only could he fight well and be brave, but he was a good musician. So David was put in Saul's service to play the harp. And he'd play the harp. And as he played the harp, Saul would soothe down. By the way, music, not hope none of us have evil spirits, but music is good for, for our spirit. And so this is the introduction to David. And I'll just tell you as we end off, we're going to have communion now, as we'll begin next week in chapter 18, that Saul became jealous of David. They were, the girls were singing the song, the ladies. They were singing the song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul went, what a minute. And then it was all like on the radio and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, it's like, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And they went, oh, no. Saul said, I'm, they've given him credit for more than me. So when David was sick, he, because he was working for Saul now as a musician, one day, Saul, in his, one of his fits of anger, throws a spear right at David to try and kill him. Does it twice, two, two different occasions, tries to kill. And ultimately, as we will see beginning next week, David, and it's the rest of the book of 1 Samuel. He, he's not going to become king in this book. He's not king till 2 Samuel. But we will see in the rest of this book that he flees from Saul. He flees, and you, the lessons he learned between age 17 and age 30, when he became king, when he was wandering in places like En Gedi, and I'll tell you about En Gedi next week too, we visited that, when David was in the desert fleeing from Saul, he learned lessons that would make him the righteous king that he became. God was training him through hardship. Just like Joseph was rejected by his brothers, David was on the run. But he was the next king. He was the next king of Israel. Life is a training process in our character and in our ability to be used by God. And from glory to glory, he's changing us. From Samuel to Saul to David. I hope you're half as excited, at least, about these stories as I am, because I love them. And I hope you'll read ahead, and Lord willing, we'll finish 1 Samuel next week. Let's pray, church. Father, as the old song goes, I love to tell the story about Jesus and his glory. And I love uh, your word. We love your word. These stories are more than stories. They have applications to us. Lord, applications, applications. Because your word came to Samuel, his word came to the people. Help us to remember that and be in the word. Because Hannah prayed and you answered. Help us to remember that. And Lord, the lessons are there. We've, we see what happens with disobedience in Saul, but we, we see just the story of how you raised up a courageous young man, David. We thank you most of all that you raised up your son, Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
who conquered death, who conquered sin. And Lord, as we trust in him, all of the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who believe. So today we come to your table where you've told us to do this in remembrance of you. We pray that you'll be glorified greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.